Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of Phoenix Security Limited. Phoenix helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security supply chain visibility by leveraging the power of correlation and contextualization. Discover how Phoenix Security helps CISO and security engineers act fast, prevent burnout, and implement DevSecOps at the speed of cloud. Phoenix Security. Correlate, contextualize, and act on risk with one click. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. This is your host, Francesco, and this is probably the last, last episode that we do in 2022. Uh, it's the 29th of December, 2022. We're almost on the end of the years, but we managed to squeeze in a last episode with Chris Hughes. And it's um, an absolute pressure because with Chris, we've been interacting a lot over LinkedIn, teasing each other over a number of topics, and we said, you know, is the time to come on the show and do a proper episode. So Chris, thank you very much for coming on the show. Chris is, uh, is uh, a consultant, he's a director of Acquia, and he's been in Air Force previously, so he's very heavily involved with a lot of US regulation around SPOM and around cybersecurity. And the US has facing a lot of change in late. And today in the episode, we're gonna dig in and explore this. But before digging in in the exciting topic of SPOM and software supply chain, Chris, tell us a little bit more about you. How did you start? How did you get us uh, to the point where you are today? Yeah, definitely. I'm happy to uh, give you some background. I started off uh, active duty Air Force. You know, prior to that, I always had an interest in computers and technology, but you know, got uh, joined the Air Force and, and got put into cybersecurity. And at the time, I didn't really realize the opportunity. You know, you're just a young kid, you know. Uh, <laughs> and and then like I started really taking an interest in it because it was fascinating career field, and like I've never stopped. You know, I did four years in the Air Force, uh, and then I've been a federal employee with the U- U.S. government uh, twice. Once with the Navy, uh, doing cloud and DevSecOps and you know cybersecurity for them, uh, and then also with an or- organization known as GSA, the General Services Administration, uh, which probably isn't too familiar for many. But like if you've heard of FedRAMP, uh, I was part of the FedRAMP team uh, reviewing cloud services coming to the you know U.S. federal market there right as a security SME uh and then you know worked at a couple of different industry organizations uh in the DOD space you know on uh, software factories and think of like cloud and kubernetes and containerized environments and all those kind of things for like space force and and you know, air force and so on um and then ultimately just you know decided to give it a chance myself and, and you know co-founded Acquia where I'm at now with a couple of partners and uh you know doing cybersecurity consulting in the in the public sector but also a little bit in the commercial but definitely mostly US public sector focused. Okay. And, uh, you know, I mean, outside of that, like you mentioned, I'm really active on LinkedIn. Uh, I host a, a show myself called Resilient Cyber, uh, and I'm pretty engaged with groups like uh, Cloud Native Computing Foundation, uh, Cloud Security Alliance, for example, uh, have contributed to several white papers and publications with them. And uh, yeah, just, you know, really passionate about all things cybersecurity, honestly. 
and there isn't a, a, a new article regulation that comes out and there is a, a whole competition of who can write a blog before that and I really appreciate that because I think it, it's pushing everybody out to the edge to actually write even faster. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, I mean, there's some awesome people out there to put out a lot of great information that I read, like, you know, folks that you know, you and I know, like Walter Haydock and such. Uh, so sometimes, you know, I enjoy writing uh, and, and for me learning, like I like to read something and write about it while I'm reading it. So like uh, if something new comes out, I like to, you know, try to quickly get an article out there and, and see, <laughs> <laughs> try to push other people, you know, but it's, it's all, it's all in good fun, honestly. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's, it's a good, it's a good pattern. It's a good competition to actually write even faster and, and quicker, but maybe back in the day, um, you know, what, what made you decide to actually engage this into uh, a full on career? You know, you started in cyber, you start going more into cyber and Ben, and then as a follow on question, how did you saw the regulation and the industry changing, especially in the in the federal space of late? Yeah, I mean, for for me initially, it was you know just kind of happenstance. Like I said, I got put into cyber. I was in the Air Force. I got out and uh, you know kind of just stuck with it, just because it was easy to find a job doing what I did in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw like the uh, economic opportunity that the career field has. It's a great career field. You know, a lot of good job stability. It's you know a lot. Of, it's very high demand, for example. And I was always really interested in it. And then you know I got married and, and started a family. I have four young kids. And once I started having kids, like uh, you know my motivation to work harder, to learn, to grow. You know my career just kind of took off from that point and I've never mm-hmm. stopped working hard since then. Um, and as you mentioned, I think we're definitely seeing like a, an evolution of the regulation in this space, you know, in our, in our environment, in the public sector, you know, we've always had things like NIST and, uh, you know, risk management framework, NIST 853, and, and uh, you know, think of NIST 8171 for defense industrial base, and then CMMC that people are talking about a lot now, uh, thinking about, uh, you know, not just software supply chain, but supply chain risk management in general, your right. vendors, you know, your suppliers, uh, that was a topic that's gotten a lot of attention as of late. And then, uh, you know, obviously software supply chain, you know, it's not necessarily a new topic. Uh, you know, you can date, you know, and you Google actually had a white paper recently that they cited like an incident from 1980, you know, four or something where the United States did something to Russia with software. And it's right. like, wow, this issue has been around for a long time. Uh, but it's gotten more and more attention. I think is you know we've seen open source adoption uh, kind of accelerate and go you know go crazy. Everyone's using open source software. Most modern applications are made of open source software. And uh, I think people are realizing like you know I think Sonotype for example had a study showing that in the last three years there's like a 742 uh, percent increase in software supply chain attacks. Uh, so malicious actors are definitely paying attention. And now I think that's making organizations, regulators, you know, the industry pay attention and try to respond to this. Brilliant. And and I think I saw I saw an enormous change in that. But I saw the US taking a, I mean with the with the change of, of command in CISA, a really strong stand in the software supply chain. And that's when the, the whole industry kind of started paying attention on OSS and in general on the software supply chain and started bringing with SPOM and the new regulation around SPOM with the uh with the I think it was the 2201 or 02 that they brought out the whole topic of vulnerability management, but not just in infrastructure, but across the software security lifecycle that really, really break the chasm and, and change the paradigm on, you know, this is something that we need to pay attention now. And, when, and you know, when there is a regulation behind it, the whole public and private industry start paying attention. That's That generated the, the, the whole debate and topic. Um, and, and as you rightfully say, it's not a new thing. I mean, software, we've been writing software since forever, but 
right now we've been really paying attention to it. So what do you think was the was the kind of singularity that made everything change and us really paying attention now uh, to soft the supply chain attacks? Yeah, I mean, I think like we've talked about, the momentum has been slowly growing. There's been folks like Josh Corman, if you're familiar with him, who was kind of uh, warning about this issue almost like a decade ago, uh, you know, in the medical device community, for example. But there's no arguing that, you know, solar winds and the fallout from that, the thousands of organizations that impacted kind of like, uh, you know, precipitated the whole follow on executive order, uh, you know, things, you know, executive order on, on cybersecurity, which had an entire section, section four dedicated to software supply chain security. Uh, and then out of that came a whole slew of activity where you had organizations like NIST producing a, a new version of uh, SSDF, the Secure Software Development Framework, uh, OMB, Office of Management and Budget, now kind of dictating that all suppliers selling software to the federal government need to start to attest to aligning with SSDF, uh, providing things like SBOMs. Uh, and then you had, uh, you know, organizations like NTIA, uh, where you had Dr. Alan Freeman and folks, you know, working on these SBOM working groups, you know, two, three years ago, uh, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, building that interest, building that maturity around SBOMs with their uh, working groups with industry. Uh, and then, of course, he moved over to CISA and kind of has kept up that, you know, that momentum since then. Uh, so I think, it, you know, definitely solar winds was the, kind of the, the watershed moment, I think, from a, a, an attention perspective, and then the cybersecurity executive order and all the uh, all the activity has come come after that. And as you mentioned, like, you know, I think regulation is going to has and will continue to play a big part in this, like, you know, without regulation forcing the issue, uh, suppliers are not necessarily incentivized to provide right. this information, that transparency. Uh, and many, you know, I've been really focused or, or interested in the economic factors of cyber. Many consider cyber to be a market failure. Uh, mm -hmm. They say like, you know, regulation is required for the, for things to change. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's hard to argue with that because if, if we just leave it up to the industry, they're not going to necessarily provide this information. Why, why would they, you know, just put some additional right. risk or scrutiny? So, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we're definitely seeing a lot of changes. And, and security is often seen as a massive cost. So if there isn't a regulation behind it, there isn't a business justification to actually do it. But SPOM in particular, I think, attack one of the big topics in cyber, that is the asset management in general, that is a huge debated and often avoided topic in, in cyber or in general in IT. It's not even a cyber problem. And I think the SPOM kind of industry has now brought to the topic a problem that is like, what do we do with SPOM? What do we do with this asset and, you know, asset of asset and who use those assets? So I think it, it has opened the Pandora box around asset management in software supply chain and non. What's your thought around it? No, I, I think you're spot on. Like, you know, I've been writing and talking about this recently and like just digging in and reading, reading a lot about it and looking back across my own career, you know, uh, uh, asset inventory has been a best practice for a long time. You think of like SANS critical controls, mm -hmm. CIS critical controls, hardware, software, asset inventory has been around for a long time and we've always sucked at it and it's always been difficult, <laughs> you know, and then you bring in like, you know, the, the modern environment with the open source software, you know, you have managed service providers, cloud service providers, you know, software delivered as SaaS, you know, software is increasingly complex in most modern environments and uh you know you look at like sbom as you mentioned now you kind of open that pandora's box of you know it's not just like one app it's all these components that are involved in the app and then you have all your dependencies and all your transitive dependencies and it just you know it's uh it's a very complicated issue yeah and we and we kind of just had been burying our head in the sand or ignoring it and pretending it didn't exist and now you know the, the light is on the issue and there's no ignoring it now and organizations are really starting to try to grapple with like okay how do we 
how do we get our hands around this? How do we understand like what our software supply chain is, our components that we're using? If we're a supplier, you know, what are we using in our software? If we're a consumer, what's in the software that we're consuming? What are the vulnerabilities associated with that? Uh, so it's kind of opened that Pandora's box, like you said. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think after Spawn, there will be a whole, like you've wrote a really very important article about uh, the the SaaS platform and the Spawn and who depend on on the dependency that is kind of on the topic as well of software supply chain, but on, on chaining fundamentally third-party supply chain, there is, there is a whole debate of who depends on what from a software perspective, but in general. And I think going forward, it's even going to be more because there have been more attack around it. What do you, what, what's your thought about why the, the attacker focused on more on the software side of things rather than in the infrastructure? Did we get better at infrastructure and defending infrastructure assets and or have we been ignoring completely the software aspect? Yeah, it's actually a it's a very hotly discussed and debated topic. You know, there have been some claims. You know, even by organizations like uh, ONDNI, which is the Office Director of uh, uh, what is it, Director of National Intelligence in the United States, mm -hmm. for example. You know, they kind of stated that you know organizations, as organizations get better at doing the basics, the fundamentals. Uh, you know, as uh, attackers have gone upstream, for example. Uh, but then again, if you look at the headlines, you know, we still have phishing, we still have you know lack of MFA. Uh, so we're still very bad at the fundamentals as an industry, it seems. Uh, but if you look at it from the attacker's perspective, like, you know, they can target you as an individual organization, or they can target your supplier and have a cascading mm -hmm. impact across hundreds, thousands of consumers downstream. Uh, and they may do that indiscriminately, just, you know, whoever we get, we get whoever the consumers are, or they may look targetedly at like say solar winds and say, who's using that? Okay, great. We want to get to them. Let's target, let's target the supplier and then have that downstream impact, uh, you know, onto the consumers downstream that we know are using them. I think it's kind of like a, you know, it's, it's just a, an efficiency thing. You know, if they can see that it's way more efficient to target a supplier and have that cascading impact across the industry, thousands, you know, of, of consumers versus targeting a single organization. Uh, so it's just an efficiency thing and economy of scale thing from a malicious actor's perspective. And then also, I think they've realized like as an industry, uh, we just have really poor uh, supply chain risk management practices. And uh, so why not take advantage of it? You know, they're always looking for the most efficient way to uh, uh, carry out their goals, you know, so they just kind of have taken advantage of that reality and i think you brought up a topic that really fascinates me that nowadays attacker and an individual group works as a business so they look at the unit of economics and what the smallest number of of line of code that they can produce they're going to hit the majority of, of of the masses and i think they talk roi more than <laughs> blue team does <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're, you're spot on like the, you know, malicious actors are you know, organized cybercrime is becoming very mature. You know, it's, it's a massive industry that generates a lot of revenue for, for, you know, like malicious actors around the world, you know, whether it's organized nation states doing it for purposes like that, or just, you know, crime groups doing it to make revenue and, and, and profits. Um, and as you said, like, they're going to look for the most efficient way to do that, you know, you know, for all the hype of, you know, uh, uh, you know, think of like, uh, advanced quantum resistant, you know, encryption, for example, like those kind of things, like, you know, yes, that exists, but they're, they're going to look for a more efficient, like, you know, oh, they just don't have MFA or they have like a, a poor password, you know, hygiene, for example, right. they didn't patch, they didn't patch known vulnerable software that has a patch available for like four years now. Uh, you know, like, so they'll just take advantage of the most efficient thing they can. Um, you know, it's just easier and makes more sense for them.
This episode is brought to you by the generosity of Phoenix Security Limited. Phoenix helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security supply chain visibility by leveraging the power of correlation and contextualization. Phoenix platform connects to your repositories, scanners, and cloud, correlates all the information, and provides you with a prioritized list of vulnerabilities that need to be addressed first. Discover how Phoenix Security helps CISOs and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at phoenix.security. Phoenix Security. Correlate, contextualize, and act on risk with one click. No, and, and I totally agree. And I think I was reading the other day an article about um, the fact that 76% of ransomware is leveraging vulnerability of more than two years old. So it's, it's not like zero day, it's not as quantum encryption breaking. I mean, those are cool topics to discuss about, but it's like, again, <laughs> attacking on the basic. And I think maybe on, on, on the topic that you brought, we haven't been paying a lot of attention on software supply chain or in general software security. And if you consider even OWASP, OWASP been around just 20 years. So we haven't had any standard or any kind of way to agree among us as an industry on what software is. And then on the flip side, we had a lot of CISO that comes from traditional you know, firewalling and securing servers. So software wasn't really their thing or maybe in their agenda. And, you know, how you grow, structure the way, how you structure your security strategy and your cybersecurity strategy. What do you think about that? No, I think you're you're spot on. And, and you know, I actually talked to uh, Mark Curfee, you know, from mm. the OWASP Foundation, and he talked about how long they've been around, but how many problems we still have as an industry at the basic level. Um, and then you talked about, you know, like that, I think software supply chain actually presents something unique. You talked about like it's been two years, you know, two-year-old vulnerabilities that malicious actors have taken advantage of. Another unique thing about software supply chain attacks is like, you know, how long have we heard just patch? You got a patch, mm -hmm. right? But what happens when the patch is actually the, the attack vector is poisonous? Uh, so yeah. now you're like following a best practice that could compromise you. So that's a very uh, difficult dichotomy there if your supplier's patch is compromised. Mm -hmm. um, and as you said, like, you know, coming from different backgrounds, depending on the organization, you know, the CISO, the industry that they're in, you know, the focus on software supply chain may not be there. They may be looking at security from a different angle around, you know, when it comes to, uh, like you said, software versus traditional security, you know, this this modern ecosystem of we have of APIs and SaaS providers and open source software consumption. A lot of that's new to, you know, security professionals, or at least organizations haven't necessarily always paid attention to that stuff. No, that, but it's, it's rapidly growing. The industry is changing so much so fast uh, that, you know, a lot of these things are just simply new. We haven't matured as an industry to address them quite yet. Right. And and I think you shared you shared the attack surface the other day of software supply chain. And if you compare that to MITRE and attack, those are completely two total different ways to attack. If you vector to attack fundamentally uh, organization. So software supply chain attacks are totally new breed and methodology and technique. And I think if you come from an infrastructure, you you struggle to get ahead of the curve and, and understand how a library that has the same name of another library co-fundamentally match or, or be a vulnerability to your organization versus, you know, you have a vulnerable service. A lot of security, traditional security folk relate to the vulnerable server. They don't relate to a repository somewhere or an account takeover or, or things like that. 
Yeah, I think you're, you're raising an interesting point I've been talking a little bit about. is like, you know, we see the big push for zero trust, for example. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you look at zero trust, at least how it's t- typically discussed, it's very net- network-centric, you know, architecture-centric to the organization, you know, our endpoints, uh, our authentication, you know, all those kind of things about the architecture. Uh, and you may be securing all of those things and doing that, you know, doing those things right. And then you look at like open source software consumption and you're just voluntarily pulling things in that you have no understanding of the pedigree, the provenance, uh, who contributed to it, you know, if it's secure or not if it has vulnerabilities uh so you may be doing all these things right from a you know architecture perspective and then you're just voluntarily pulling things in with you know you're just implicitly trusting things when you think about software supply chain which is an and kind of anti-pattern for zero trust um so yeah so it's a new paradigm and a way of thinking about things that we just historically haven't done as an industry no i agree and i think maybe back in the back in the podcast where we discussed with walter uh on are we still siloed as an industry to think where you run software and what and how you build software? So you, you still have the debate between software security folks that thinks in a specific way and infrastructure cloud security folks that see things in a completely way. So are we still looking at software in a compartmentalized way versus full stack way? Yeah, I think it definitely could be argued, you know, and I've, uh, you know, I, I kind of like you, I, I started off in traditional IT and then, you know, got mm-hmm. into the cloud and things like that. And, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of like, you'll hear arguments of, uh, you know, cloud is less secure than on-prem or, you know, you know cloud is more secure than on-prem. And, and this simply doesn't work like that. There's a lot of factors at play, the supplier, the maturity of supplier, you know, for example, me self-hosting something is not going to be in comparison to like, say, GitHub that's used by millions of people and has a, a massive organization of security, you know, expertise behind it uh you know there's a lot of factors that contribute to whether something is secure or not it's just it's not you know so black and white there's a lot of gray in there and nuance in there right and maybe a question for you so what do you think is well as a security industry what what do you think are we facing in the next probably couple of years yeah, it's a it's a good question. We have a lot of we have <laughs> a lot of question. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of problems. You know, it's it's it's, it's we're coming up on twenty twenty three, as you said, it's prediction season, and you can look around and see a lot of great predictions that you know a lot of these things are true or will likely be true. Uh, we have a lot of problems, but you know, looking at uh, where we're headed, I think that we have a lot of maturing to do around how we look at the software supply chain. Uh, you know, we have great things and efforts underway, like you talked about, like SBOM. Uh, of course, we have two kind of competing standards there: SPDX and Cyclone DX. Uh, it depend, you know, we'll see how adoption of both those go, uh, how organizations go about, you know, uh, not just producing an SBOM, but like, what do I do with it now? You know, like, how do I, how do I aggregate all of these and look at them across the enterprise that I have and, and, and understand and make informed decisions around risk and procurement and acquisition? Uh, how do I better vet my suppliers and understand my suppliers' suppliers? Uh, so it's just a very, you know, you know we have a complex uh, problem set ahead of us with a lot of things to mature around, I think, as, as you said, it's like, it's a new new paradigm for us in a lot of ways around security. And there's a lot of things that we need to figure out and mature in, as an industry still. And that, that's that's all great, but it's a very complex topic. And we struggle a lot to actually bring the whole organization together along on the security journey. And now we're facing kind of a singularity where we have augmented the complexity of what we deal with for the nature of software that is complex. How do we translate all this complexity to a business decision maker that needs to decide, okay, I'll invest X amount to actually keep on building my software secure or keep on 
running my organization securely. So how do we shield the organization to the amount, the sheer amount of complexity that, this, that all this has? Yeah, I like I like the word that you use. I think you use the word shield, uh, the organization. I think it's like, you know, we to an extent, it's kind of security's responsibility to abstract away a lot of the complexity. Like, you know, we shouldn't be expecting the board or business leaders to be cybersecurity experts, for example. Right. And that's where I think, uh, you know, think of things like risk quantification. If you look at how we communicate risk, it's almost all qualitative. It's very subjective. It's based on, you know, gut instinct and experience. And uh, it doesn't really, you know, we haven't really done a great job of maturing how we communicate business risk and dollars, you know, and, and, and communicate that they understand as a business, uh, you know, we have great books like how to measure, uh, you know, cybersecurity risk from folks like Doug Hubbard that came out many years ago. And then there's already a version two coming out. But if you look at the industry, like we have fair and we have things like that, but uh -huh. I, they're, they're not really adopted very well in many organizations are not implemented uh, at scale that I've seen in the industry. Uh, so I think as a, as an organization or as an industry in terms of cyber, we again need to mature how we communicate with the business, putting things in the business terms. You know, you, you often hear about the CISO having a seat at the table and, and needing to speak the language of the business. Well, the, the business speaks dollars and cents. Uh, so right. we need to put we need to put that risk in that kind of term so that they understand it, the implications of it, and can make it, uh, you know, risk-informed decisions about it. Uh, we shouldn't expect them to be security experts and and, and they're not going to understand the software supply chain when when we as a as a profession are still getting our hands around it ourselves, you know. Right. So translating fundamentally the, the whole traditional problem of attack vector and vulnerability and in, into probability of exploitation and to impact and the probability of that impact to happen, those are terms that fundamentally any business-minded person can relate to and can understand in terms of risk and do something about it, like mitigate risk with dollar. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you're using the terms that like, you know, I think back to a decade ago or more when I took like CISSP and there was like, you mm. know, likelihood and probability of exploitation and, and of likelihood of occurrence and like, no one ever really talks about those things for some reason in the practical world. Uh, you know, like we just, you know, and you, me and others have talked about a lot on LinkedIn is like, you know, we talk about CVSS based scores and severity, but there's no context right. or new, nuance behind it. Like, is it actually exploitable? How likely is it to be exploited? Uh, if there is an exploit available, what's the maturity of the exploit? Is it a proof of concept? You know, is it is it known to be exploited? If you look at like resources like uh, CISA has their known exploited vulnerability list, for example, or you have things mm -hmm. like EPSS that's uh, right. starting to grow and mature, you know, to see what the probability that this vulnerability will be exploited and then understand like organizationally what kind of factors do we have in place to mitigate the risk you know what's our environment set up how are our configurations in place that may make this a, a vulnerability exploitable or not even exploitable and totally irrelevant for us now so those are things that we need to really get down to the bottom of uh, but that all takes a lot of time energy and effort to get you know kind of uh, flush those details out so it's a, it's a tough challenge no, I, I totally agree, and and you know that's that's my pet peeve. That's that's the thing that I talk all the time about because I've been I've been in finance organization for long, and that's that's all they want to talk about. You know, risk quantification, investing X amount of money to actually exploit X amount of opportunity, and you know, business people don't talk vulnerability, don't talk cyber. <laughs> they talk money and money against money. So I think I, I I've seen the paradigm shift a lot around contextualization, cyber risk quantification, but I still haven't seen, I've seen a lot of talk about it, but I've seen a struggle in adoption. What do you think is that? Yeah, no, I mean, that's actually my experience as well. It's like I said, like there's, you know, great, 
great material out there on cyber risk quantification. We need to speak the language of the business. You know, they have things like FAIR and the Risk Institute and, and other things like that. You know, and we hear probability like EPSS and so on and, and putting things in the business term and quantifying it to, you know, dollars and cents. Uh, but as an industry, I, I haven't seen that at, at scale in any large organization, uh, in le at least in my personal experience, you know, that I've run into in the public or private sector quite yet. You know, some people have had pilot programs or efforts to try to do that, but I haven't really seen it done at scale quite yet. And I think it's a, it's it's got to be a hill that we climb if we're going to move past, you know, uh, being siloed and being part of the business, the part of the leadership team, communicating in the business terms and understanding how we can, uh, you know, communicate with our peers. Well, maybe we need regulation around it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe that's another factor that drives, you know, uh, forcing us to communicate in those terms and, and actually quantify things and, and, you know, put those metrics out there because otherwise, maybe we continue to go on as we have doing qualitative, subjective, you know, assessments and kind of speculation. I agree. Chris, we're coming to a close and we have a, a brilliant tradition in the show that is not live on a doom and gloom like we always do in cyber, but live on a positive note. So in, in your opinion, how has the industry changed or what is the positive sign that, that we start seeing and to leave fundamental audience on a positive note? Yeah, I think while we've talked about a lot of the challenges and problems, you know, I think the fact that we're even talking about these is a good sign because there's been years. Like, it's not as if the use of open source software or a software supply chain as a concept is new. We just simply didn't address it previously as an industry. And so we're seeing a lot of momentum from groups like Linux Foundation, OpenSSF, CISA, you know, the federal government in the United States. We're seeing uh, European regulations start to come out around software supply chain, suppliers, SBOMs. Uh, so we have a lot of great momentum underway. Same thing on the, you know, cyber risk quantification. Uh, we're seeing a push for, you know, uh, having cyber expertise in the boardroom from groups like SEC, for example. Uh, I think we're we're moving in the right direction. And you know, we have a lot of problems ahead of us, but that's also exciting. We have a lot of things we get to solve and tinker with and try to, you know, try to solve as an industry and as professionals. And that makes me interested and engaged. Uh, and, you know, I hope uh, everyone else is along on the journey and excited as I am about the opportunity. Absolutely. I've seen I've seen the paradigm shift and I'm, and I'm super excited about what's after con. But if, if folks want to follow more about uh, the US set of regulation or what you talk about, where they can find more about you? Yeah, for, I mean, for me, I'm super active, as I said, on LinkedIn, you know, just find me at Chris Hughes. Uh, I think it's uh, at Resilient Cyber on LinkedIn is my kind of my URL. And then same thing on Twitter, although I don't really use Twitter too much. It's a, it's a little bit different than LinkedIn, a different world. Um, but that said, I also have a, a sub stack I started a couple months ago where I talk about these topics, you know, on a weekly basis. It's resilientcyber.substack.com. And then I have Resilient Cyber, the podcast as well. Um, and I'm happy to connect and chat with anybody, anyone about all these topics. You know, I'm, I'm always learning myself and looking to learn from others. And, and pass along what I learned. Uh, as I said, we're all in this together. So uh, I'm definitely open to chat with anyone. Fantastic. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. And everybody, you know, there is a tons of material out there. Push your organization towards adopting a more mature maybe surface because it, it can make you more reputable and more solid even before regulation comes around <laughs> because then you'd be prepared. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we always talk about like uh, just a closing note. We hear about like, you know, shifting security left. Uh, this is an opportunity to do that. Wait, instead of being reactive, waiting for regulation to come along and, and kind of encourage you to do these best practices or things that we're seeing emerge as, you know, things that we should be doing, get ahead of that curve. You know, if we know we need to start quantifying cyber risk, we know we need to start talking about software supply chain security as an organization or business. Now is your opportunity to get in there and start doing those kind of things. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Chris, for coming on the show. And everybody stay safe out there. And I wish you everybody a fantastic 2023. Thank you.
We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com. 